to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things back after a two-week hiatus. Did we do one last week? Sabbatical. It's a sabbatical. Did we do? We didn't do one last we week. Do didn't do one last week. Nope, oh, first, that's right. There's no football to really talk first about. First fart in two week. weeks. Yeah, first, first fart in two weeks in the Carl Chevrolet Studios. You spent your afternoon... At Carl Chevrolet. I did. And I had the equivalent of the, you know, you know, when you go to a movie theater and they're like, enjoy the movie. And you're like, you too. As they're giving you the ticket and they're standing behind the desk and you're like, you, and you walk away being like, you're at work. You're not going to enjoy this movie. I'm going to the movie. You're not going to the movie. And you realize how stupid that interaction was. Yeah. I had one of those. And then you think about it for three days. I had one of those at Carl's today and friendly service staff, they were, you know, going through, I was getting my oil changed and I was in just working on my laptop in the little kind of waiting area they have like cookies and whatever and I go out there with my truck and or with my key or to get my keys in the truck and I always feel a little bit awkward when I'm walking with like my like you know my business bag and like my wool coat and like I look professional and then I'm walking through a mechanic shop because very clearly they're doing work and I'm not and uh, so a guy looks at me and what I presume as quizzically but I'm assuming that he's just like looking around but like I feel threatened at that time because I'm in an odd situation because I know nothing about cars and I just point over I'm like I'm going to the Chevy over there I'm at Carl Chevrolet in the service center there are five Chevrolets in the bays there and there's another three in the line and I just pointed it and said I'm going to the Chevy and the guy just looked at me like of course you are idiot everyone here is going to the Chevys so that happened to me this afternoon truck runs like a dream so truck runs like a dream. You can get your own truck. CarlChevrolet.com, CarlChevroletStewart.com. Check them out at their lot at exit 90 at the Rock in Ankeny, off I-35. We're out in Stewart. Out in Stewart, Stewart. Just west of the dude on the Cycle Fanatic radio show last week. Um, Bloom told me a story about how he went to... I, I listened to this, yes. yes. How he, he went on like an exchange program to Stewart. West Central Valley. Yeah. And it's going, what, like 45 minutes west? And it was the first time he's been that, on a farm? If that, yeah. It's like, wow, Brent, you really turned into a city slicker out there in uh, suburbia. Out in Waukee. Waukee. Back when Waukee was a two-way school. Really driving seven minutes north or west to get you to a farm. Yeah. If that. At that time. I was yeah. going to say, at that time, man, it's probably not even seven minutes. Five minutes, three minutes. That big ass. If you hi- drove the right way, that big ass high V out there didn't exist. No. back in the the mid nineties, late nineties, none of that stuff was out there. Nothing like, was out there. Yeah. It, was, it was Hickman that led to Adele. Yeah, <laughs> it was really quite remarkable when he explained <laughs> that to me. I was, I was like, okay, we're gonna have to talk about that more another day. That day we didn't have time for that, but uh, yeah, that was that was pretty funny. Um, all right, last night Iowa State with a. Not Iowa State. What am I talking about? I'm not talking about Iowa State. We're talking about football. Iowa State football is done. I wish. Uh, We will talk about Iowa State football. New strength and conditioning coach Dave Andrews uh, coming from Pittsburgh. But I want to talk about last night's national championship game first. Joe Burrow uh, completes the greatest season by a quarterback in the modern era of college football. I think you can probably extend. While leading the Tigers to the national title. I think you can probably extend that. That is one of the greatest seasons that any athlete has had in the sport of football ever. Especially college football. I mean, yeah, college football specifically, but ever. Yeah. I mean, it, when you go back and you look at how, because what do you have, like 59 touchdowns? 60 touchdowns. 60 touchdowns and what, three interceptions? Two, uh, three? I don't know how many interceptions. It was less than five. And so his touchdown interception ratio was like 30 to one. And 
this team is undefeated. They beat seven top 10 teams, many of them on the road, uh, won the Heisman by the largest margin of victory of all time, and then followed that up by beating the defending national champions and making them look, re- honestly, their defense looked bad. After the, the first... By the, time four, they were, yeah. by the time they had kind of taken the punch and adjusted, uh, LSU made Clemson look like an average defense, which they're very much not. And we, we, this whole... Uh, the last last year's version of this podcast when we were kind of reacting to Clemson beating the bejesus out of Alabama, um, w- how much Brent Venables is, he's paid, the high, he's the highest paid coordinator in all of college football, mm-hmm. deservedly so. He's one of the best, if not the best, coordinator on either side of the ball. And yet, they were outclassed almost exclusively by Joe Burrow. Yeah. Like he, granted, you have three wide receivers, three, maybe four wide receivers that'll be playing in the NFL. Like LSU's got tools. Did you know Jamar Chase was recruited, uh, was committed to Kansas initially? That's a good, that's a good change. That's a, it's a tidbit, isn't it? That's a, that's a good change that he went <laughs> not there. Yeah. Uh, but the thing with Joe Burrow is like, I think I've said it, multiple other people have said it, but he's the first guy that kind of reminds you in that Tom Brady, Peyton Manning mold, where when you would watch those guys, um, and I'll even kind of lump like Aaron Rodgers in there. When you watch those guys, at no point do you ever feel like they are out of control or the game is out of their control. Mm-hmm. Even when they're down 10, you're kind of just being like, oh, just it's Clemson, you better score a little bit more because it's going to happen. Yeah. Because just the way that he carries himself and the way, the way that he doesn't panic. In other situations when you would expect someone to panic, he doesn't. It's it is Steph Curry or Clay Thompson in the, like Clay Thompson's shooting mechanics yeah. in the corner. It doesn't matter if they're up by 17 or down by 17 or if it's the last second of a three point shot, you know, to win game seven of the finals. It's going to look exactly the same because they have that same kind of cool, chill demeanor that doesn't change. Yeah. And then add the physical school, physical tools on top of it. I mean, Joe Burrow is probably the best quarterback in college that I've ever seen play. Uh, and I you might again, it. it in my 29 years, but you might extend that farther back because it'd be hard pressed to find somebody else that did that. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting you say that about Brady and Manning and, uh, and Rogers and, and now Joe, but, uh, there's only one quarterback that's down 24 and, uh, you feel like he's probably still about to win the game. I want to talk about him later on, but, uh, there's, there was just, there was a moment last night where it was like, no matter how many times he got hit and he throws the one touchdown where he just got blown up. I mean, crushed in the ribs mm-hmm. and uh, still just throws a perfect strike for a touchdown. And you're like, oh, man, this dude, he's dealing now. You know, like he he woke up this. That was his least efficient game since like early October. And he had like almost 600 yards passing. How crazy is that? And the other the other crazy thing is that Clemson wasn't playing bad defense. Yeah. But he made them look like they were playing bad defense. Like the two the two throws that like genuinely. So every Monday, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, and um, every Monday, I have uh, my girlfriend and I will have friends over to my house, and I'll make dinners and whatever, and just we'll you know whether play a game or watch something. So we're watching a game, and it's me and three other people that eh, don't have that much of a knowledge of football, and I can't stop being like, oh my god, yeah, that was incredible. He's just dropping them in a bucket, and and so the incredible part is the. The more technical, again, the, dropping him in a bucket, like right in the bread basket, that Willie Mays over the shoulder thing, like that's that's really impressive. But what's even more specifically impressive about that, that that coverage, they're giving 
a couple, I think there's three of the over the shoulder catches that were really kind of chunk plays, 40 yards or more, one of which, or two of which were touchdowns. Um, you as a defender and Clemson has good defenders are going to use the sideline to your advantage. Your main job, and Herman called it the four-yard four highway, I think, uh, where you're essentially trying as a wide receiver to get to a point where you're running four yards off the sideline because that little window, that four yards, gives the quarterback a little buffer space to put it, in, put it there so you can kind of fade towards the sideline. Um, but a lot of times that four yard highway becomes a two yard highway becomes a one yard highway. And someone ends up, you know, a defensive back is really more or less trying to box someone out at full speed. Like you're trying to run the Clemson defensive back is trying to run even with the LSU wide receiver with his arm, the back of his arm kind of pressed against, you know, he, he's using it sort of as a feeler tool. He's watching the receiver, but he's kind of like using the back of his arm, back of his shoulder to again, like a box out, but just running to push him towards the sideline. Because then in that case, even if it's a perfect throw, he's going to have to catch it on or out of, or on the side, on the sideline or out of bounds. And you're going to have to either make a terrific catch or get out of bounds. So credit to the LSU wide receivers on those plays, Clemson a lot of times would play a head up or a slight inside leverage when they were playing in the slot and they'd run that wheel route to essentially get them to the four yard highway and Burrow, this is perfect coverage by Clemson on the majority of it. Burrow put enough height over top of it that any arm coming through by Clemson isn't going to happen. And he put it on the outside shoulder of the receiver, like the outside bicep of the receiver. So he could use his inside hand the side of the hand away from the sideline to continue kind of hand fighting with the wide receiver and more or less just hand it to him. I mean, it plopped right into his elbow or into their guy, like two, three yards off the sideline, but it was in enough stride with just enough outside placement to keep him running at full speed and high enough to get away from the reach of the corner and with enough pace to keep them running after they catch it. So they don't have to go up and make a jumping ball. Like the beauty of that pass is so underrated. Like I, I can't even come up with like the other kind of another correlate of who does that really well. Um, I guess from a pro standpoint, I think Tom Brady in his prime could drop those, you know, those, whether it's Troy Brown, like across the middle or something like that. Or then you have Randy Moss running down the field, like Dante Culpepper. I guess that's another, that's an easiest one because Randy Moss is, is as good as he is because you give Randy Moss a chance to just keep running. Like he's the fastest dude in the field. Don't slow him down. Throw it to the point where he's going to keep running. So Dante Culpepper would put these huge, giant, mammoth bombs and Randy Moss would run underneath it. Burrow's not playing with Randy Moss. They're really, really good wide receivers, but he's putting it in such a perfect spot. I, I mean, I just talked for six minutes about three passes and I'm still as gobsmacked of how beautiful they were every single time. And he knew where he was going with the ball. Like that... Burrow, again, is, is as good as a good of a quarterback as I've seen. And he's another thing that like, I don't know if this is like a, just a hindsight 2020 thing, but like you have this like gut feel of like, who's going to be successful in the NFL just because you see like their competitiveness, how they kind of go about things. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence will have an adequate NFL career. Like he doesn't seem like he's going to have like this stellar career. Joe Burrow is going to be a stud at the next level. Like no real questions. I think Herbert from Oregon is going to be a stud at the next level. I think Tua is going to struggle. He's a huge physical talent, but I think he's going to struggle. And there's just like gut feel about it. And it's like Josh Rosen. Like I, no one had a good feeling about Josh Rosen going in. No one should have a good gut feeling about Josh Rosen right now. If Cincinnati doesn't take 
No, Joe, they're going to take him. They, if they don't take Joe Burrow, yeah. and, and he's an Ohio kid, yeah. they need a quarterback. It is the perfect setup, and he is going to, I don't know if it's going to be like right away, right away, but the dude's going to be a stud the next level. Just unbe- unbelievable talent, work ethic, speed, skill, just unreal. Andy gets to play with the, he would get to play with, or play for a, a Nebraska guy, Zach Taylor, former Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. And he'd be playing uh, if A.J. Green sticks around. I'd imagine he will. He's thrown to... Yeah, thrown to A.J. Green. I, I mean, they're, they're not horrible. Like, they just need, like, a couple pieces, I feel like. And I think... I mean, I mean, they are horrible, but it's like, you get a couple pieces and they'll be... It hasn't been that long since they were... Yeah. ...average to playoff team, you know? Well, and I think Cincinnati would get behind Burrow. Oh, no doubt. Like, yeah, Cleveland fans started the season because they were all hyped up. Um getting up behind the Browns and they're kind of Cleveland's always a, a pseudo rabid fan base, but um, you know, it, it reminds me sort of like the Titans where the Titans fans are like there, but they're not hundred percent dialed in unless there's something they can get behind. And then you get Derek Henry going off like a monster and the yeah. Titans fans are all of a sudden just huge. Yeah. I think the, the Bengals fans, I feel like have a chance to do that Yeah, if they get Joe Burrow, but man, that dude's good. Yeah. He's really good. I mean, I think that that, that team put together as impressive of a season as any that I think we've seen in recent memory. It might be the most impressive season we've seen in recent memory. When you consider the fact that they, who they had to beat that, the, who they had to beat, they played all four of the teams that were in the top four of the preseason AP poll. Uh, I want to say Joe Burrow threw 15 touchdowns and zero interceptions in those four games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, they, they were challenged every week and would still blow people out. Mm-hmm. You know, and that offense was still moving the football. Mm-hmm. So, I, like I said, I think that that team, you put them up against just about anybody that I've ever seen, I don't know that anybody beats them. Yeah. I mean, uh, I can't think of one. A low-key MVP or MVPs that I, I, in that, from that game that I don't think have gotten enough recognition is the interior defensive line for LSU. Because yeah. uh, Trevor Lawrence, is he's a, He's a damn good quarterback. He's a damn good college quarterback. And granted, he's a puppy, so like maybe my estimation of him is not going to be as... The crazy thing is the kid they've got behind him might actually end up being even better, which is... Un- unreal. I mean, Dabo's an embarrassment of riches. That's the kid who could beat out Real huh? at, uh, hmm. in high school. Okay. Yeah. Good for him. He's num- yeah. But uh, Trevor Lawrence is a really, really good quarterback. And maybe he does... You know, again, he gets a little bit older and like changes my gut feel, and maybe my gut feels wrong. I don't know. But the the way that you disrupt a pocket passer and we've talked about this is you don't let them step up. You can in any direction, whether it's up forward, up to the left, up to the right, but moving down the field in some capacity because your defensive ends are running fast. They're trying to get up the field. They're trying to get to the quarterback around the tackles. So a lot of times that's going to lead to a little bit high of a rush, meaning it's going to get past the quarterback or even, even with the quarterback. Well, if that happens and you don't get any push with your interior defensive line, there's still two big rush lanes that you can that you can run from right where the defensive ends were. But if what happens is you get defensive ends that are a little bit high, meaning you got even with the quarterback or behind, but then you push the 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 interior offensive line back into the quarterback's lap, he has to do one of two things: either he has to throw without engaging and moving his hips down the field. Or he's got to bail somewhere, which when you bail somewhere, that's when your defensive ends can get that like second effort sack because they've made the initial rush to, to make him want to push forward. The defensive line pushes him back and there's no way for him to go. Right. And so an interior defensive rush, that's why guys like Warren Sapp are, are Hall of Famers and should be, 
is because you cannot throw when you're when you can't step forward. I mean, a pitcher has a mound or has a rubber, and then that little toe spot where they hit is two inches off the grass in the front side of the mound because you have to transfer your weight in the direction you want to throw. If you're pushing that lap or pushing back into the quarterback's lap, you can't throw. Mm -hmm. So Trevor Lawrence a lot of times was missing high because he's throwing all arm. Like he's he was not able to actually step into the throw and pull it down. So he's just zipping it up. Now granted there were times when he was just rushing and pressing, but like a lot of the times he just wasn't able to step into the throw because the LSU defensive interior line, which number 72 is an enormous human. He's like 63, like 360. Those guys are pushing the lap or pushing the Probably still the, runs a 45 too. Probably doesn't. I saw him try and run. He <laughs> he'll bench 225 50 times. But boys run about a 6'5". Uh, Rich Eisen might beat him. His first, 10, his first 10 might be good, but that is, that is a lot to get from first to second to third gear for him to... He, I don't think he has anything more than three gears. He's got three gears, just real fast for a short distance. Just a three-speed. Yep, he's a four low. It's, he's all in four low. Uh, but yeah, like the LSU interior defensive lineman made, made it so their secondary looked really good. Now, granted, yeah. their secondary is really good, but that freshman corner didn't have to cover that long right? because it was either scramble because there was getting some kind of pressure or Trevor Lawrence was going to miss the throw because the, the defensive lineman had pushed into their laps. So it was uh, not exactly the, the most comfortable for Trevor, La- Trevor Lawrence to try and actually play yeah. in that scheme. Yeah. And it was, it's like, that's what makes those guys who can do that. So I mean, mm-hmm. so special. I mean, the guys like Ndamukong Sue, Aaron like Donald, Aaron Donald, like mm-hmm. it makes their whole defense look a whole lot better when you've got that guy who's just dominant right in the middle like that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it'll be interesting just to see what LSU now does next year. I think they're going to, I think they're going to, they're going to fall back, off. I think, I mean, granted they're going to, their defense is still going to be, Yeah. I think their defense will probably be the highlight of their team next year. And I don't know who they have coming in for, Offense. I don't like, know what their quarterback, what their quarterback situation, situation is, uh, but it's not Joe Burrow. No. I mean, and, that, that and dude doesn't come every year. No. But they do bring that Edward Zelaire back, I think, which he's, man, he's like a little. Dude, if he can, if he can go pro, there's not a, I mean, there's Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. Chuba Hubbard's coming back. But, but what other running back prospects are there? Yeah. And if you're a guy, like in the NFL right now, and you have the possibility of getting a guy that's as multiple as Clyde Edwards Alaire. He's a really hot commodity right now. If he's eligible to get in the NFL, I might. I mean, I wouldn't take a risk as a running back. Mm-hmm. Go make your money, bro. Yeah, go make your money. Uh, the I saw someone on Twitter describe him as like a, uh, a mini fridge that runs twenty miles per hour. He's Darren Sproles. Yeah, he yeah, that's exactly what he's it is. Darren Sproles. He, he like plows over people though. It's insane. Yeah, because, and the fun thing he's is, a badass. He's a badass, and the fun thing is, is he's so yeah, he gets f- from sixty to zero and zero to sixty super super fast because his legs are three and a half inches long. Yeah. And the other thing about having three and a half inch long legs is while you can't, you may not be able to see everything, you can still feel flow pretty well. So like running in the tackles, he's just strong as hell. You can't really quite see where hats are moving. Uh, but his center of mass, get, get underneath him. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Yeah. Like the guy that kind of comes to mind when I say like center of mass, the hardest dude to block, hardest linebacker to block when in certain situations, when I was at Iowa state was Matt Taufo, like Matty T he was not exactly the, he's not the best linebacker on the team. He would sometimes think too much and would react too slowly. But in situations when it was 
you know, like the Iowa game style where it's a fullback and a tight end and they're under center and they're running straight downhill. He was really good because he's maybe 5'9", 5'10", about 240. And Samoan strength, like getting underneath that hit because football blocking is all about leverage where I want to get underneath you so you can kind of push up. I mean, sort of like wrestling in MMA is you're trying to push somebody up Mm -hmm. because the lower they are to the ground, the more kind of the harder they are to move. He would hit you. Like I would try and get underneath him. His shoulder pads would still hit me in the sternum and I'm like a foot off the ground and he'd somehow manage to submarine me. Like that's Clyde Edwards Alaire, but just with the ball because he's five, seven, he runs lower than that. I mean, the dude's a tank. Yeah. All right. Let's pivot to next year. And that's where we'll talk about Iowa state. Um, First things first, we, I think it's becoming very clear that Iowa state is going to be one of the more polarizing teams uh, in the country when it comes to being in preseason rankings or preseason predictions. Uh, Brett McMurphy from Stadium put them at number 10 in his way too early top 25 for 2020. I saw them in rankings or they there were rankings where they were not ranked. There were ones where they were around the 20 range, which is probably where I would put them until mm-hmm. you see more than I think I've seen from them previously. If I was to slot them, I'd say upper teens. Yeah, like I think that would be where I'd appropriate eighteen to twenty three. Where I would, where uh, yeah, I would even say like I would just. I think they're in the top twenty. I would say in the upper teens, but with McMurphy putting them at ten, what that tells me is Brock Purdy is going to be on a lot of short lists. Thirty three to one odds to win the Heisman Trophy as of today. He is going to be on a lot of short lists. Yeah. I guess who who are the favorites? Uh, between Trevor Lawrence is the favorite, right? Uh, who else was there? I can't, I can't even remember. So we'll pull him up. Or I, can, I, I know I retweeted him. I'll, I'll pull it up real quick. But, but yeah, you're he's right. He's going to be on a lot of short lists because the only way you get to the top ten or top fifteen is if you have a stable quarterback. They're not going to put somebody with an unknown quantity unless you're a blue blood. Like LSU will be up there because they're LSU. They yeah. just won the national title. They have all this talent around. They can kind of replace someone. But if you're a team like Iowa State, like a, um, you know, a Kansas State, like a, a Missouri or something like that, where a team that you're not quite the blue blood, but you're not, you're not trash. You're just not quite a blue blood. You need to have a quarterback in order to get ranked. And that 10 ranking is ranking Brock Purdy very, very highly by his opinion. This is where, um, so this is what McMurphy actually tweeted out last night via bet online uh trevor lawrence is the favorite at seven to two uh justin fields four to one keaton slovis slovis from usc is nine to one chuba hubbard is ten to one mac jones from alabama is ten to one ellinger is ten to one spencer rattler from oklahoma is ten to one which he will be a redshirt freshman going it will be it's lincoln riley quarterback yeah uh tanner morgan from minnesota is ten to one uh derek stingley the Cornerback from I think the freshman cornerback mm-hmm. cornerback yep, from, from LSU is sixteen to one. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell, the running back at Memphis, is sixteen to one. Kyle Trask, the Florida quarterback, is sixteen to one. Miles Brennan, LSU's apparently backup quarterback, is sixteen to one. Sam Howell from North Carolina is sixteen to one quarterback. Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are both twenty to one. Bo Nix from Auburn, thirty three to one. Brock Purdy from is thirty three to one. Ian Book also thirty three to one. Jalen Waddle. From wide receiver from Alabama, Rondale Moore from Purdue, also thirty-three to one. So I mean, there's a lot of guys on that list, but it's still, still he's mentioned one, two, three, 
There's fourth best, fifth best, sixth. I mean, like, there's a lot of guys there, mm-hmm. but eighth, eighth the highest odds, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so, I mean, either way. But that also tells me, too, because I know that McMurphy doesn't throw things out there without, like, them being sourced on some level on background type things. Yeah. I can guarantee he's a guy who's out there talking to people and saying, what do you, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Coaches and stuff like that. Who do you see coming back? What would you guess? I would imagine that there's probably some behind the scenes buzz to an extent in that area, but I don't know that that's just kind of what I, from what I know about Brett McMurphy, that's not just like him going out there, like throwing things at a wall to try and, you know, do, do a Colin Cowherd. Yeah. And just make waves to make waves. Just so, just so we can talk about the waves that he made just made. Right. Exactly. And then, I mean, like, but I also saw that they were not in the athletics top 25. They were like right on the edge. They were in the last team, last group to, that didn't make the cut. Like they weren't in the sporting news which the sporting news is basically nothing anymore. Uh, they were like 23 in Athlon. I think they were 16 in, on ESPN. So they're all right at kind of in that range, but number 10 was pretty jarring mm-hmm. for, for the initial one that I saw yesterday. Well, and I think it's cool. Um, that this you team, also got to replace four out of five offensive linemen. Well, three out of three, three out of five. five yeah. 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 But you get it. You have, you have had a team that has had to now deal with expectations. So dealing with expectations for this season is not new mm-hmm. because they were supposed to be really good last year. And the kind of the internal expectations that the state of Iowa had on them will feel pretty similar. I would, I would think where they're expected to be really good and the pressure they're going to put on themselves because of their expectations of being good become kind of muted because while we were here last year, we saw what it took to, we saw what happened when we, you know, didn't do X, Y, and Z and we didn't um, take advantage of these 50, 50 opportunities. You're talking, you know, that Kawhi Leonard 50, 50 ball. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we didn't do based on this. So we're going to do this again. So even if they're ranked preseason 10th or preseason 30th, they, I feel like they've got, the the mindset that they've dealt with it before and i also think and uh the off the record conversation that chris had with coach campbell if you haven't listened to that already just it's a really good hour Mm -hmm. um i like how he said well brock is actually for the first time able to breathe like he's able to finally understand what he what what the football world at Iowa State is where yeah. he knows that the offense is sort of around him. He knows what he has to do to succeed. He knows what he has to do. If we know he's what, he knows what happens if it's not going to succeed. And this is the first time that he's been able to go in and do like a really accurate self-assessment of what did I do? What did I not do? How can I fix this? What can I do better? And just literally just take time to breathe and look in a mirror because coming after his first season, we knew that he was going to be, back we didn't know anything about him we didn't know we didn't know what kind of type of consistency what type of quote sophomore slump is going to be there um and he came out and had one of the best seasons at a, as a quarterback that in Iowa State history and now the offense is more or less the same there's not a lot of difference there's not a lot of focal changes that are going to have to be made it's not going from um you know Kyle Kempt to Brock Purdy is not going from Brock Purdy's first year to Brock Purdy's second year. So this is really the first time, like fundamentally, the offense isn't going to be different mm-hmm. from last year to this year. Because from what, 17 to 18, excuse me, 16 to 17, 17 to 18, 18 to 19, all of those years, 
the previous offense was starkly different than the seceding offense. This is the first time where you get most of your guys back again on this on the skill positions and your offensive line changes but offensive line changes you're you can morph around a little bit of your scheme of like what these guys do well but a lot of times it's going to you know you got say 12 offensive linemen what five do the job we want to do and i think the offense will be fundamentally similar which again gives brock the chance to say okay in situations when i felt pressure off of my right side, what happened? Okay, I'm going to work on that. Or in situations when I've had chance to uh, chances to outrun somebody and I didn't, I'm going to work on that. Or in situations where I've had chance to load up on a downfield throw, I didn't do that. And so you can now kind of understand the more specifics of what was going on rather than what is, you know, tray right up, sail XZ drag or something like that. What am I looking at? He knows what he's looking at now. So now he can just look at himself. That's, I think that's kind of the neat thing. And, and Coach Campbell harped on that well, not harped on it. He, he mentioned that during that off the record podcast of Brock being able to look at Brock and breathe. Yeah. All right. We'll talk about the new strength coach, what that means for the program. And then I want to talk about this weekend's NFL conference championship games too. When we come back on football and random things on the cycle fact podcast network. Welcome back to Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. So Iowa State announced on Friday the or a change at the in the strength and conditioning department. New strength and conditioning director uh, Dave Andrews joins the program after several years under Pat Narduzzi at Pitt. Uh, I am not going to sit here and pretend to know a lot about strength coaches, but obviously you've been in a program, you understand the importance of the strength coach. But for me, as an outsider, uh, there might not be a more important job in the program outside of being the head coach. That's just from my opinion. You interact with your strength staff probably four to five times more than you interact with the football staff. Now, granted, the football staff is the one on Saturdays when, uh, you know, ultimately there's 12 four hour blocks that your entire year is devoted around. So those, what, 48 hours, if that math is correct. Yeah, 48 hours of your year are really what determine everything. So that's where the football coaches get paid to be really good is to prepare for those and to do that. But the other X number of hours not in those 48 are the strength coaches time. And you are in the weight room, you're conditioning, you are, they're warming you up at practice. They're at practice. They're providing guys. If you're injured, they're the ones that are doing it. But during the off season, coaches right now are recruiting. Either the recruiting, or I think they're at the, a football coaches conference, or uh, they're maybe taking a little bit of a, a, a breather or vacation after the season for a couple days. They're doing something that's not involved with the kids. The strength staff is every day integrate or integrated within the football program dealing with the kids. And now they're the ones that are going to instill work. That's where the culture is built is with through the strength coach. And so that's why it's so important. I mean, if you were to go, I guess there's not even really a good metaphor for it. When you go to into your college football athlete, you are going into the football program. The first thing you're going to do in nearly any given day is do what the strength coach tells you to do. And you're going to do it how they tell you to do it. So if every single day they're telling you something that is 80% beneficial, you know, you're, or they allow 80, 20% of, of negative something, or they allow 20% of, of unsuccessful work to exist. 
80% every single day over time becomes 80% of your potential. Whereas if they're 100% successful, 97%, whatever you want to talk about, as far as getting people to do the right thing, getting people to eat the right way, getting people to train the right way, getting people to understand how hard they need to work, making sure that they're, they're, finishing and hitting all the details they need to during conditioning, making sure that when they go, Hey, we're going to run five yards. We're going to run at the five yard line, back to the goal line, run to the 20 yard line, back to the goal line, sprint through the 50, that type of conditioning that everybody's foot hits a line. If they understand how to get people to work joyfully through that or work purposefully, rather than just putting through that mundane effort, you get these incremental gains. Cause I think somebody shared the chart of whatever, and this is because you do it so often every single day, is if you're 1% better in any, if you, if you gain 1% in any given day versus losing 1% in a given day over the course of a year, you're like $30,000 richer. If you start with a dollar something like that, I don't know what the exact math is, but it compounds so quickly that if you do things correctly, that's where you can earn these things. The other thing, and I think is a, um, an underappreciated version of a strength coach is injury prevention and them working with the athletic training staff to structure a workout regimen or structure a lifting plan, a weight gain plan, a weight loss plan, a muscle explosion, whatever you're talking about, whatever goal for a specific athlete is, maybe you want your alignment to be bigger, but not lose speed. You want your uh, skill positions to be leaner, but not lose weight. That whatever prescriptive thing is going to be there. If it's done successfully and safely, with proper technical coaching, with proper implementation and load management and um, making sure that the the sets, reps, intensity, timing, make make sure all that stuff is correct and then it's done and implemented correctly, your risk of injury goes down. Because imagine if you were to, you know, every single day, someone said, all right, you're gonna jump out of a first story window and you're gonna land with your legs straight. Okay, how often do you, how consistently, if if you do that, how how long do you think you're gonna stay healthy? Very short. Now, again, incremental gains over the course of a long time is if you're not corrected in form, if you're squatting with your knees way over your toes, or if you're trying to be, you know, a, another negative way is let's say, you know, it's Monday squat day and you're under the bar at 97% of your maximum rep or maximum weight every single Monday for a month. It's like jumping out of that first floor window is you're putting too much load, too much strain on your body, that incremental gain or incremental loss by the time the season rolls around, there's so much wear and tear that's happened on those joints that you have these hamstring pulls, you have stress fractures, you have all these just negative things. Now, again, injuries are, are sometimes random chance, but if you can prevent and prehab what's going to happen with strength, they're going to be fine. So the strength coach is in a very long winded way, the glue that holds the entire program together because they establish culture and they prevent injuries. If you want to be a good team, you have to have guys stay healthy and you have to have guys that want to work. And if those, if the strength coach isn't doing those two things of preventing injury and insta- or establishing culture, it doesn't work. Now, again, there's the, the other thing that strength coach can, can, is meant to do is develop the physical skills of guys. I think that's, maybe this is me being not necessarily jaded, but guys are going to get stronger. Like strength coaches, you're going to have guys that come in and, you know, grow a 300 or a 270 pound lineman into a 315 pound lineman or, or take a guy that's running four, six out of high school and make him run four, four guys know how to do that. But so a strength coach in gains and stuff like that, like that, that I feel like is pretty universal across the board. It's, 
It's the culture implementation and it's the injury prevention that are the two things that a strength coach has the biggest hand in. And that injury prevention piece has to go with the athletic training staff. So he's got to integrate with the culture with coach or with Mark Coberly as with the athletic training, uh, Nate Postma and Shannon, those guys, he's got to have to work with them and what they need to do to prevent it. Um, so it's a really important hire. I don't know enough about the guy to say if it is or isn't, but I, I think at this point we've coach Campbell's earned the right to say, you know what? He, if he is coach Campbell's blessing, I think he should have all of ours. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's, I will ask though, too, from what you could see, do you think that there was something before that maybe Iowa state was lacking that required a change? And I, and obviously that's, you're not there every day. Mm -hmm. So that makes it a little bit tougher, but it's like from just you as someone who has been around this for a long time, what, was there anything that you saw that maybe thought made you think like, okay, I can understand why they would want to make a move like this. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily anything overt, but it seemed like there was a lot of strain injuries that happened like Jaquan Bailey and like, I mean, Dylan Sainer just got wrapped and a roll up in a really bad position, but guys like Sainer and guys like, um, Eisworth and guys like Brock Purdy, Again, some of that can come on just like one particular shot. But at the same time, and again, I'm not blaming this. Is this is let, let me go out, like fully put this out in the air. This could also have absolutely nothing to do with the strength coach because I don't know what's going on every single, like at one, I'm not a strength coach. Like I, I do a different line of fitness stuff and I'm a football player on the other end of it. So let me just say this. I don't want to come out as like it, that this is, yeah, Jeff said this strength staff is really bad. I don't want that to be the, the, the assumption. But if I'm making like, again, outside noticing things, if I were to put a 115 pound uh, backup point guard on the, our we have a West side basketball team and put him out at free safety or the star linebacker position and have him try and take the hits that Greg Eisworth is doing, then very likely he's going to get hurt. If it's not in the first impact, it's going to be on the 50th because just over the course of time, his body was not ready to take that hit. And so sometimes those specific one-off hits, if I were to put a guy like KO, KO's build, let's say he was a, a skilled quarterback, which that would be terrifying if KO was a skilled quarterback. <laughs> but if you'd put a guy at KO's build getting hit like a quarterback gets hit, he's likely not going to incur the same type of damage to his body because of physics. He's stronger, he's more built, uh, he's built more sturdy. Um, so it can be taken that if it's not prepared correctly, a body can take on more damage than it should because it's not prepared physically to, to bear that load. So I would say over the past couple years, if coach Campbell determined that he felt the strength staff could have done a better job in preparing these guys, uh, preparing these guys joints and bodies to not be hurt over accumulation injuries that, that would be a means to get rid of him. I don't know if that's just an attitude clash that he had. Um, but because again, that's culture installation. Maybe the biggest thing was that there was just a, they weren't jibing on, on what they wanted out of their kids. And it might've been too much work to not enough work, not the right kind of work, whatever. It might've just been a miscommunication because the head coach and the strength coach have to be like yin and yang, just right on the same page. So I don't know, but speculating, it seemed like there were injuries this year that popped up that should not, 
or that could not have been or could have not popped up if they were trained in a different way. But again, that is speculation. I don't know what was going on there. And specifically, we don't know what even happened to the guy. So it might have been something that's not possible to predict. So yeah. again, to, to put huge caveats on that, to answer the question that what you asked, that might be it. But um, it also might be, again, a culture thing that they're not lining up on. Yeah, certainly was surprising when I first heard that this was going to go down. I mean, I was not anticipating that. I almost wonder, too, how much of the how much there was of them playing Notre Dame and seeing what Notre Dame looked like. And it's like, if we want to go to another level, then we got to do something different. Yeah. Again, in that same, um, off the record that Chris did Campbell or coach Campbell used the phrase. If we ever, we want to take the step from good to great, we have to do these things in reference to the strength coach change. Um, so I think there is a, that probably is part of it is that the, the culture implementation wants to be different. How do we do it differently? And the, the biggest way to change the culture, the biggest way to impact the culture of your program is to change the strength staff because mm-hmm. they're with them every single day. You get these incremental gains, 1% better every single day or 1% worse, or if you stay the same, you're missing out on all the opportunity that you can to improve. Yeah. All right. So I think that we've probably covered as much as we can with that at this point. That's also something that we probably don't see any sort of like dividends paid until like next year. Probably not. Yeah. No. And I, mean, I would say the only time you could actually put a pin on something is, I don't know what the, the analytics or specific statistics could be, but by the end of the year, if it feels like the guys are healthier in game 10 of this football season, in comparison to game 10 of last football season or game 10 of the prior football season, then you can attribute at least a part of that to the strength staff being different. I will think, I do think that he did a better job of keeping guys from like, like season ending injuries that it seemed like there would be a lot more of during the roads. Yeah. 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 Trail end of the roads there mm-hmm. guys tearing their ACLs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I mean, I don't, I don't even know of one. I can't think of one I mean, knock on wood, but well, yeah, no, I mean, I can't like off the top of my head. Like I, there might be one, but I just, it's not coming to my mind. And right that, now. that's the kind of stuff again, that, a, that a strength coach should be, if they're doing a good job, should be uh, credited for is preventing injuries like that, that, you know, accumulation injuries of over time, if your knee's not stable because it's, it's tired, it's fatigued, then it's at higher risk for doing something like a non-contact injury. All right. Quickly, before we, uh, before we sign off AFC NFC championship games this weekend, Pat Mahomes is really good. Uh, I don't know that I've ever been sitting, watching a game, get, watch a team get down 24 to zero in the first quarter of a game. And I'm like, yeah, we're fine. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they could probably still come back and win. Like, it's it's unrealistic, but at the same time, when you got that quarterback, just let him get into a little bit of a roll. Like, it's not going to take him long to score 24 points. Uh, and then it took him, I want to say, like some, some... Like seven and a half minutes to yeah, make up Yeah, it took him like nine, them. 900 seconds to, uh, to literally be in the lead. Yeah. Uh, that game had crazy crap bingo, whereas like... Muff punt, block punt return, fumble kick return, kick return past the 50, uh, 24 straight points by one team, 28 straight points by the other team. Uh, no, 41 straight points by the other 41 team. 41 straight points, yeah. Well, 24 points in a quarter and 28 points in a quarter and then seven straight touchdown drives. And like there was even stuff that Deshaun Watson was doing. He threw for like 400 yards in a loss. And there was even one where like, I remember being like, are you kidding? It was at the end of the half where they're setting up their, uh, they're going to set up their um, field goal to end the half, which Fairbairn ended up missing but it's like second and 24 or something like that. And he hits a cover to a hole shot to Will Fuller or Kenny Stills on the sideline. 
shouldn't have been there. Deshaun Watson just placed a dime in the bucket. And it was one of the things where you're like, what in this game doesn't happen? Yeah. They tried a flea flicker or a double reverse pass that didn't work. They tried a fake punt that didn't work. Like, that was an absolutely bananas game. But championship game-wise, this is going to be kind of fun because it's two totally opposite styles where the Titans are like old school uh, Kansas State style where they're going to suck time off the clock and as a running back, I love watching Derrick Henry, and especially not necessarily as specifically as a running back. As a running back who was not a I'm going to run around you guy, it was a running back that you're going to have to make a business decision if you want to stand in front of me because I'm not changing direction. And by the end of the season, I mean, the past like three years has been consistent. Like Derrick Henry's like 10th in the league in the first eight games and like first in the league by a mile in the last eight games. Because if you've played 17 games of football, and you see 6'4", 245, running at 4'4 speed right at you, you get in the way of that train? No. Not even a little bit. Even professional athletes, like, I know that I should, yeah. but I don't want to. That's one thing I think that the Chiefs do have is that they obviously played only one game compared to two. But that the Ravens also, I think, probably way overlooked what Tennessee was going to, was going to bring. Well, and to I table. think Vrabel had a really good... Yeah, he had a good game plan. Game plan of pushing, forcing... Lamar to make decisions in the gray area yeah. because he, he will tear you apart in black and white when it's, you know, if a guy di- a defensive end dives down on a read cause they think Ingram's getting the ball and there's a big lane for Lamar Jackson, even if it's a small lane, but there's a clear read gone, like yeah. no chance. But when you kind of wait and be patient and kind of force the issue of go right at the read point, which is what the coach defense events to do is go right at the read point because he can't tell if you're going to go towards the quarterback or towards the running back, then you started to like suck the ability out of them doing it. And that's what they kind of did on like those, those short yardage plays is they went right at him and essentially contained him to make him win in the gray area. Um, that, so they're going to try and make Pat Mahomes do the same thing. The the only thing is that, uh, Pat Mahomes has like, they can't run the ball for nothing. No. I mean, they just, but they don't even try. That's, mm-hmm. that's the thing that I think is just like, they're like, we know 15 is pretty damn good. We're just going to let 15 do his thing. Throw it 57 times. It's yeah. Texas Tech offense. Right. And like, uh, the thing that like, Lamar, as good as Lamar is, once you got them into a situation where they had to throw the ball, they were, they were not going to be in a good spot. Well, and I thought the thing that I, I remember, I watch a, one of my NFL things it, I'll watch on YouTube is uh, Brian Baldinger uh, will do like video breakdowns. And one of the things that, they, that he would, did a breakdown on with Lamar Jackson was one of the reasons he's able to throw so well is because he's able to run so well because defenses have to simplify what they're doing because if they run these like comp, you know, the defenses, they'll try and like confuse, you know, like Ben Roethlisberger or something like that. They'll try and run these like crazy spin defenses where they'll, they'll show cover four and spin to cover two and, or whatever. Like they'll try and do these crazy things, but it's putting a guy out of position when you have a Usain Bolt playing quarterback. And so when you're, it's not in the fact that he's not a good pure passer, cause he is a really good pure passer, mm-hmm. but you're then able to do the things that you do to Tom Brady to Lamar Jackson, because the threat of him running isn't so great anymore where like you can spot them 15 yards with a crazy, you know, him outrunning everybody. Yeah. You can spot them 15 yards because that time is worth more than those yards. And then they can start playing these really fancy defenses and it, that's where it starts to get tricky. That's all Pat Mahomes sees. Yeah. Like they try and run these ridiculous defenses, but Pat Mahomes is, he's going to work around to find 
one of the two best tight ends in football with Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Because that dude is relentless right. when there's a scramble drill. Well, yeah, you've got him and then you've got Watkins and Tyree Kill, who are about as perfect for what uh, for what Mahomes does, just with like the improvision where he's like running around and stuff. And it's like, just go find some space. Mm-hmm. Like get back behind him. You're fast as hell. Like just go run really oh, fast. And, and Robinson. And yeah. And then like, yeah, you got Robinson, you got uh, Hardman. Like you've mm-hmm. got some guys that are just like perfect for what he does. And that's where once they got the Texans on their heels, the only place that they had any trouble was inside the 10 because they just can't run the ball. Yeah. And that's really all it comes down to is not being, but that's where like later in the game, once they had basically, it's like, we're just not even going to try. Then they tried, and then they ran. They scored two touchdowns yeah. easy. Uh, the, and I think the thing that I that I really like about how the Chiefs' offense is constructed around Pat Mahomes is similar to what we talked about with Iowa State during the season. Who do you guard? Like, yeah. who do you put your emphasis on? You f- ten and eighty-seven, right? Like, those are the two guys that you got to try and take away. So you're going to single cover Sammy Watkins. Yeah, you're going to single cover Miko Hardman right. with a nickel or the safety. Dude's just outrun everybody. Right. There's going to be one little tiny opening and they're going to find it. And even if you're double cut, double covering Travis Kelsey, if that guy's not physical enough to keep up with Travis Kelsey, because he, for, if for somebody that's not a Chiefs fan, this is going to come like a, finally someone sees it for Chiefs fans. I'm like, yeah, I'll ignore it. Travis Kelsey, offensive pass interferes on every single snap. 100%. Every single snap. He's going to throw somebody around. They should call him for it every time, but they don't. So we keep doing it. Why not keep doing it? So like he was trying to get open, he's going to grab you by the chest and just throw you out of the way. Yeah. And if you don't, if you're not heavy enough in the ass to, to withstand a kind of hand fight with him, he's going to get open and Mahomes is going to throw it in a window that's through a keyhole. I was going to say, and, and he just, can really run. Like, yeah. Where I, I remember one play where it was, I think it was maybe right there late in the first half where they went down and scored and uh, he was coming across the middle, like on a kind of like a Y cross or something like that. Like they played, and they played the a, a bracket over under. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like. The both guys were in perfect position, one right on his back and one like right on his shoulder. And he's but the throw that Mahomes made was just so perfectly right in front of him that all he had to do was go like this and pull it right in. And it was like, and you look at it and you're like, if he throws that literally anywhere else, not a completion, it's not a completion, mm-hmm. but he got it right where it needed to be. And Kelsey got like a quarter of a step on the guy. And that's all it, or on, on the guy that was behind him. And that's all it took for him to be able to catch that ball. Well, and the, the other fun thing is, um, I don't think the Titans, so this is, so the Titans and the, and the Chiefs played early in the season. It was a really good game. It, both of the teams make the other one uncomfortable. Yeah. Like the way that each plays makes the other uncomfortable because if the Texans could run the ball like the Titans can, that game is effectively over at 24 to zero. Now, yeah. granted the chiefs can score clearly they can score in bunches, but if every drive they have, even if it ends in a punt is six and a half minutes long. Cause yeah. again, guys are gonna make business decisions with 22. You're not getting the way Derek Henry when he gets that, when he gets downhill. Right. So if the chiefs, they have to get to a better start than they, they have did. to get to a better start. And if the chiefs get really, really far behind, if they start playing, you know, it, cause they're a little, sometimes a little feast or famine where, yeah. because they throw so much, it can, you can go three and out or even a first down and go five and out. Um, and the drive only took 41 seconds and your defense on the field for 13 out of 14 minutes, you can go a little feast or famine there. And there's, there's on the downside, not a ton of time to catch back up on the plus side, the Titans don't score quickly. And so if the 
say it's, you know, seven to 10 or something like that. And the, the Titans are up and the chiefs go on one of their bang, bang, bang scoring runs. And it's like touchdown, 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 and three minute drive, two minute drive, one play. All of a sudden the tempo has swung so hard. Right. The Titans have to score fast. Ryan Tannehill well, is a, a, and then you put Tannehill he's where a, he's, he's got to throw the yeah, ball. Yeah, he's a good quarterback, but he's a good quarterback in the same way that like Ricky Stanzi was a good quarterback, which is good off play action, good if there's a one-on-one opportunity that he knows he just does, he has to throw to that, but when he has to read the whole field, he's not good at it. Yeah. So again, the Titans make the Chiefs nervous because they can suck the life out of the ball. The Chiefs make the Titans nervous because they can score in bunches and they can't score in bunches. So I don't know. I'm really pumped about that one. I'm less enthused about the NFC game. I want to say just quickly, you got to give some credit to the Chiefs defense, the way that they have turned things around. I mean, they were like a wet paper bag before, especially last year, less last year, but like in the last like six weeks, they're like third in the NFL. Is Chandler Jones playing? in defense? Uh, he doesn't play for them. Or Chandler Jones, Chandler, for the which uh, Chandler was Suggs. Chandler, Terrell Suggs. Terrell Suggs, but who's the, Oh, Chris Jones, Chris Jones, excuse me. Chris I think Jones. that he's supposed to play. Yeah. Cause from, that's a big I was difference. reading some Kansas city stuff that said that they, they think that he'll be ready to go. That's a big difference. But you get him, you got Frank Clark and you got Suggs back there. Mm-hmm. Like that's big time, dude. They ain't Derrick Henry. Huh? They ain't Derrick Henry. No, I mean, they're not Derrick Henry, but I mean, like that's, that's a lot better group than what they had before. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that the honey badger too was all pro this year. Mm-hmm. Like they, they've got some dudes now. It's that, I think that's the way more exciting game than the one. Oh, the other one, I think the 49ers will win by 20. The only way it doesn't happen is if Aaron Jones goes off. Yeah. But I don't know if the Packers offensive line is going to be able to move San Francisco no. that much. But then I think the other fun, like, so let's play, let's say the 49ers win. I hope Allen's good though. Me so too. It's, it's good to hear that he's, that it was just an ankle sprain. Yeah. I was worried about him when yeah. it first happened. So let's say, but let's say the 49ers win. And who do you want to see them play? I mean, you're a Chiefs fan, but like from a football standpoint, I'm, Chiefs, I mean, I'm a Vikings fan, but or yeah. a Vikings fan, but I like the Chiefs yeah. just because a lot of my friends are right. So, Chiefs but, fans. but let's say like I, I want to watch the Chiefs play the 49ers because they it's the similar thing to like the Titans where the Titans and the 49ers want to play the same way, the same run the football, let their quarterback make a couple decisions, but let our 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 running backs be the star. Kansas City, like let them sling it around with Bosa chasing them down. How much fun with Richard Sherman on one side? Right. Richard Sherman versus Tyreek Hill. How much fun would that be in the Super Bowl? Right. I mean, I, I, that's what I want to see. I think those are, I think that those are the two best teams since Kansas City got healthy. Kansas City wasn't healthy early in the season. When they, when, yeah, Mahomes got healthy and when they got Terrell Suggs. Yeah. Well, you got Suggs and then you got, uh, I mean, Frank Clark was injured at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the season. I mean, he was a difference maker in that game the other day. I mean, he was all after Deshaun. And then, uh, you got Tyreek Hill back healthy too. That obviously helped when you got that guy. Like, it's, I feel like it's a lot easier to be Sammy Watkins or be Travis Kelsey when the defense knows that there's one person on the field who could run past literally everybody out there. It's funny. I think one of my favorite things is, you know, you're scrolling through Instagram on Sunday afternoon and you see a Chiefs touchdown, but you're not looking at the Chiefs touchdown. You're looking at Tyreek Hill. Chasing the guy. Chasing the guy. And, yeah. And like essentially Deion Sandersing the guy on his own team to get into the end zone. That to me is one of my favorite little joys of being like McCall Hardman who runs like four, three flat. Yeah. is getting caught and passed in a, an incredible way by Tyreek Hill. Like Damian Williams, that one game where he's like literally a, I mean, he's a solid running back, a world-class athlete and is and Tyreek Hill is running shoulder to shoulder with him, might have crossed the end zone uh, before he did and had to like chase him down after From blocking like, like people. A tw- like 20 yards behind. Yeah. It's unbelievable. That's, that is the kind of, like that's, I feel like 
NFL football is coming around to enjoying fun yeah. again. Like it's it's not that so, game that game between the Chiefs and Texans was really fun. It's not so stuffy. Yeah, you know that like one must play a four three defense and <laughs> one must play an I formation to give to the running back. One must. Like, there's, there's not that anymore, you know? Yeah. Like, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Michael Vick and, like, those guys, like, changed how you did it. And then it kind of hit us, like, a stopping point for right. a little bit. And then Russell Wilson came along and Pat Mahomes came along and Lamar Jackson came along. And all these guys have, and, you know, Sean McVay and uh, Kyle Shanahan, they've changed how you do it. And now they're, they're being like, why don't we just do the fun stuff? Well, that's what's, like... Let's score points. You, you uh there was a, a such a long period where it was like, there was this stereotypical, like, this is what a quarterback is, you know? And he's then white, he stands in the pocket and he throws it to his receivers without running. And then he can hand the ball to his running back. And like, that's it, yep. you know? And then you get guys like, like Mike Vick, I think is probably the prime example. But uh, I think once the, the spread offense became so big in college is that that opened the door for more of these guys who, in the past probably wouldn't have been a quarterback to be a quarterback mm-hmm. where Lamar can be a quarterback. Uh, I mean, a guy like Deshaun Bay- Watson, Deshaun Watson can be a quarterback, a guy like Pat Mahomes, like would not, I mean, he would have played quarterback, but he never would have been like allowed to be what Pat Mahomes is, you know, Kyler Murray wouldn't be Kyler Murray, like uh, Baker Mayfield couldn't mm-hmm. be like what Baker Mayfield was at Oklahoma and like has shown flashes of being with the Browns. Like there's so many of those different things that it's just, how that opened the door for so many more guys to be a quarterback. And then the NFL is like, man, that guy's really good. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should build our team around that guy. And then you get him and then you've got to play a different style. That's like fits that guy. And now it's not where every NFL team runs the same offense. Mm-hmm. Every NFL team is going to play the same exact way. And you know exactly how the NFL game is going to go. It depends on like three or four players. It's like, if they've got three or four players who are better than the other one, then they're going to win by seven points. And that in every week, it will be a seven point win or a three point. Well, and if you look around each one of the four teams that's still available, they all do things very different. They're all different. I would say the, the teams that are the most similar are actually the Packers and the chiefs are the most similar. Um, but but even with, with even then the chiefs have like better, they have just they're, skill position they're players more explosive skill players yeah. yeah but like the 49ers they run a downhill running back style offense but it's they're going to run a motion on 70 percent of their plays at least and the titans are basically they're the the bully in the schoolyard they want to flex on you and be like we're we're you're not going to tackle us we you i don't care you're not going to tackle us and you know then who the 49ers kind of remind me of who the patriots like in their oh in their heyday yeah well you've got the tight ends and you've got the running back who's good and your quarterback is and you got a bunch of reliable level, wide receivers. Like, yeah, and then you've just got wide receivers that you know are going to catch the ball. Mm-hmm. Like that's about it. But and then your defense is just ridiculous. That's it's yeah, it's all it it's fun. Just more of the stories NFL I think has embraced fun again, which I feel like it only is, took them 100 years. Yep. I feel like it's but I feel like it's bringing along like a more like like revitalizing the fan fandom yeah. of football in general because, you know, for a while there it's stupid rules that allowed people to spear and target and like the, do the really unsafe things. And then st- stupid, like old ideas that again, one must not allow a quarterback to run out of the pocket. If you are the quarterback's coach, one must stay in the pocket. Like again, all of that stuff is stupid. Yeah. And they're finally being like, they're being forced out of that idea 
And again, I think Lamar Jackson is the ultimate like exclamation point. Granted, he lost this weekend, but like he's the ultimate exclamation point of being like, look, you can, you can make this guy try and do what you want to do, or you can allow one of the greatest athletes that you've ever seen do what he can do and do it really, really well. Yeah. Which one are you going to be? Yeah. And that's like it. I mean, I feel like it's hard to, to do that and build your team around that guy still, because like, I mean, they do have Ingram and like all those guys, like their offensive line is very, very good. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to have a lot of really good pieces in place, like to make it that really effective. But then when you have that guy, that's how you end up like a season, what the Ravens had in the regular season where it's like, everybody's like, how do we even stop this team? Never seen anything like this before. You know? just, just wait. Until I mean, imagine Mike Vick in that offense. Well, and just wait until Lamar gets another season to learn how to in continue improving his once they do show these crazy packages. Because eventually, you know, teams are going to figure out the run game. Yeah. But then once they figure out the run game and he's able and they throw these crazy packages at him and he's able to dissect it a little bit more, then what do you do? Yeah. He can drop back and throw it against you. Or he can do what he's going to do. And there ain't no hope for that. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. And... I guess that's all. Thanks, Carl Chevrolet. Peace.